This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is uh, Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Ian Davis, welcome back to the trenches. Hello, Jeremy. Thanks very much for having me back. Listen, it's night time for both of us. Have you got a single, single, a single malt? I have indeed. I have indeed. I've learned Cheers from our it. last time. Cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs> uh, when, I, when you and I last spoke, I asked you for an award and you said yes. So let me ask you this question. How is the war going? <laughs> it depends. It very much depends on what side of the fence you're sitting on, I would imagine, wouldn't it? I mean, I think it's very difficult when you're sitting in the comfort of your armchair trying to pontificate on what's going on in, in a war zone. Um, clearly, I mean, there's some horrendous, really horrendous stuff going on out there. And, and and it's very difficult to know because the media coverage is so poor in the West um, and in the East. I mean, it, the, but both sides are just giving propaganda. Um but nonetheless, it does look like there are some problems there in terms of in Ukraine, on the Ukrainian side, in terms of uh, the fact that it does appear that Nazis have kind of cornered the, uh, basically cornered their national security infrastructure. So I wouldn't say, I mean, I think one of the problems is, I mean, I don't agree with the with the Russian line that has been put forward that. Um, that the Ukrainian government is itself Nazi, or that the that the people are Nazis, uh, but they there is a definite large portion of far western Ukraine which is very sympathetic to the ultras or the ultra nationalist cause, and they are probably the best equipped, best trained, and most advanced troops on the front lines on the Ukrainian side. So, and also notable Nazis like Android, um, I can never pronounce people's Ukrainian names, so you'll have to forgive me, any Ukrainian viewers watching, but Android Parubi and people like that have uh, cornered the um, the positions that are, and, and Android Beletsky obviously leading the Azov battalions and, you know, they've got tremendous power. And I think one of the things that was really telling uh, in that regard was when uh, Zelensky went to Zolotti shortly after his election. So this is back in 2019, uh, early 2020, I think. And he went to Zelotti because he was elected on a ticket of de-escalation and, you know, trying to resolve the Donbass war, which, again, I think the Russians have got a point in terms of, um, calling it a genocide, because yeah. although it was a, there was an ex, obviously an exchange of fire, and both sides broke the ceasefire, the, ce the various ceasefires that, um, that 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 transpired over that eight-year period. Nonetheless, you know, even the OSCE were talking about eighty percent of casualties being on the on the um, DPR and LPR side. So that sounds to me like like um, a targeted attack on a population. And if we consider that the that the Azov and Idar and Dnepro and all these all these Nazis um, publicly stated that there's it's their intention to exterminate Russians, Poles, and Jews. 
So, you know, it, it seems like a, that Russia have got a point in terms of it being a, being claiming that it was a genocide or an attempted mm-hmm. genocide. Um, however, I think that um, there is more, far more to it than than the sim. I mean, it's not simplistic. It's it's a genuine point, but there's far more to it than simply Russia's legitimate security concerns about the expansion expansionism of NATO, which you know that's that is a a, a fair point that Russia have got there, and that yeah. their security concerns have been completely ignored since really the the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, Gorbachev. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, Baker and, and many other Western leaders, Thatcher, Mitterrand, all these people, they gave they gave assurances um that that um that Russia's security would be a consideration and that the NATO wouldn't expand further east. But they just ignored that completely and, and ignored Russia's repeated attempts to try and put the brakes on it. And then, obviously, you've got at the point before the conflict started, uh, you've got the point where um, Zelensky goes to the Munich Security Conference, and you know, I mean, it was—it's hard to believe that he that 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 you would go there and threaten your nearest neighbour, who are a nuclear power already, but not only with with nuclear weapons that you you intend to have or gain access to nuclear weapons yourself, but also that there'll be NATO, presumably, controlled nuclear weapons. Mm. For Zelensky to make that threat at the Munich Security Conference, I thought was, well, what would you call it? Unwise, I suppose. You know, I mean, but almost, I mean, and I think we need to think about who is, who's writing Zelensky's scripts because it doesn't appear to me, I mean, the guy is a, he's an actor. So are most of his cabinet. I mean, if you look at, you look at the, the, um, Lit- say, literally, literally an actor. Yes. No, lit- yeah, yeah. Literally an actor. And, um, and most of his kind of immediate kind of cabinet are, are, are from the entertainment inter- industry as well. I mean, it, that, that, Currently, the Kiev government looks like a production company. That's what it appears to be. I mean, obviously, there are other people in there, and certainly not in it. There are other figures in the um, national security infrastructure and the Ministry of Internal Affairs and so forth, who are definitely not actors, but they are very um, uh, loyal to a Nazi ideology. So... You know, I mean, you've got these two competing things. I think one of the things that that people get very confused about in Ukraine is the fact that obviously you've got a Jewish president. You've had Jewish presidents before, Jewish prime ministers, and people just dismiss the idea that how can you possibly have that situation when, you know, other people like me, I suppose, are complaining, uh, 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 trying to point out that, that they've got a Nazi infestation. But the, but the point is, all that shows really is that the rank and file, the majority of Ukrainian people aren't anti-Semites. I mean, that's all that shows is that they are, you know, happy and willing to vote mm. for a Jewish 
you know, it's not it's not an issue for most people in Ukraine. But that doesn't alter the fact that there are people on the very far right in Ukraine and certainly the further west you go, um, who are undoubtedly out and out anti-Semites. I mean, some of the statements, so, you know, obviously, you know, you've got the people like Beletsky, who's in charge of the of the Azov Battalion, talking about leading the white races in a war against the Semite Untermenschen. I mean, it doesn't get much more rabid anti-Semite than that. And so, and this, this, we, I mean, recently we've seen some disgusting propaganda in um, the UK. The Guardian recently put out an article where they're basically trying to whitewash, and we've seen a lot of this, a lot of whitewashing of the of the Ukrainian Nazis. Um by the Western media machine, yeah. mainstream media machine, trying to brush that fact aside, and it is a fact. It's not. It's not um, really a debatable issue. If you look into their history, and you look into the OUM and the and the UPA, and where these and the ideology that these people have expressed time and time again over the last few years. There's no doubt that, that, I mean, their symbology, their iconography that they use, these people aren't just far-right thugs like we, like, you know, perhaps we're used to in, in sort of, you know, normally in the, on the streets or things like that. These, these are trained combat Nazis, you know, and I, and I think that, and there's a lot, a lot of them. And they're the best trained troops in the Ukrainian forces as well because they've got Western backing so and um, Western weapons. And we're just piling weapons into this. I mean, we get ridiculous statements from our, our politicians saying things like, you know, they, they hope that, that, that peace is, is the outcome and that they hope that, you know, the war can be concluded as soon as possible and they have all these hopes for a peaceful settlement. Meanwhile, everyone is just piling weapons and and you have to say as well, piling proxy forces such as yeah. ISIS into, into that environment to bog Russia down. And I'm sure what the West are, are hoping is going to be like another Afghanistan for them. Um, and, you know, there's there's no, you can't look at anything that the West have done that can't be construed prior to this as either a provocation, and now it started an attempt to propagate a war. You, they, they, you can't, there isn't anything that they've done that would give you any reason mm -hmm. not to believe that. Ian, is, is there some sort of shift happening on a global level now in terms of the polarization of the global powers? I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there's a, a statement that actually was quite an interesting statement today from the Russian Deputy Foreign Minister, Sergei Ryabkov. Um, and he said, um, and I'm quoting here, in every sense, these these countries, he's talking about the BRICS here, so he's talking about the uh, Brazil, Russia, 
uh, India, China and, and South Africa. Uh, he says, in every sense, these countries will form the basis of a new world order. We've also got we've also got comments from Lavrov. Uh, Lavrov said today, who's uh, obviously um, um, uh, Russian uh, foreign minister, said a new reality is taking shape. The unipolar world is irretrievably receding into the past and a multipolar world is being born. So clearly that idea, that concept is on, on the Russian's mind, which was evident in the speech, the joint statement that Xi Jinping and Putin gave on the 4th of February. So this is three, three weeks, really, uh, nearly, before the, before the actual conflict began, where they were clearly talking about exactly that, that shift of the shift of power from west to east in terms of economic, geopolitical and military power. They're, 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 and, it, and it's not, and I have to say as well, that this is nothing new. Even the Western globalist think tanks, such as the Council on Foreign Relations and even the World Economic Forum. And, and Chatham House, I think. Uh. And Ch Chatham House, all of them. They've mm. all been talking about this impending shift eastwards. And they've been talking about it for years I mean, the Trilateral Commission were talking about it in 1973. So, and it so this is nothing new. But what I what I I have been surprised by the speed with which this is happening. And I, I mean, if you're putting your tin foil hat on, which um, it, it, you, you know, the more you look at it, the I more don't have a tin foil you, hat. Yeah, I don't well, have tinfoil hat. I've, I've got a tinfoil <laughs> uniform. Yeah, a full tinfoil umbrella and everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's the more you look at it, oh, it's very difficult because clearly Russia have got genuine, genuine concerns about what is happening in Ukraine, and genuine concerns about their own security. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt that that's real. That is real. Yeah. However. It does look everything, everything that this that is happening fits in so perfectly with the Great Reset agenda. It's it just it's perfect in every sense. So, you know, in terms of even to the extent that lo and behold, one of the countries most advanced with its with its centralized digital ID system in Europe is Ukraine. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 you couldn't, everything, I mean, everything points towards it being, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, and I must admit, I don't believe this myself, but nonetheless, it would be easy to believe that the whole thing was a setup because it just looks, <laughs> it, it just looks that way. I mean, even when you when you think about that, what is the purpose of the Great Reset in terms of in terms of the Western uh, kind of view? In all, obviously, coronavirus or COVID nineteen, a big part of that was the destruction of the economy, right? So the big big part of that is to destroy the economy. You destroy the economy so you can build it back up again. Build back you, better, yes. Build back better, exactly. We look at the sanctions that have been applied 
And off for the life of me, it looks to me like the, the, the people that are going to suffer the worst from the sanctions are us. The, 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 the Western power block is going to suffer worse from these sanctions. Mm. Russia is surging ahead with, with uh, uh, you know, a bilateral, a really a strongly, hence Xi Jinping and, and Putin's joint statement, a very strong bilateral relationship with China. They're, they're developing the Arctic Silk Road, investing billions in that. Russia have, have already announced, uh, you know, $120 billion worth of, of um, uh, uh, oil and gas exports to China, $20 billion worth of coal. They quadrupled their oil exports to um, India, which is... Which is an, well, there are two, aren't there? There are two massive markets on Earth, which everyone is fighting over, and that's China and India. And Russia yeah. <laughs> appear to be serving them both very well. Thank you very much. Now, also, Russia. I mean, if if Russia managed to, I mean, it's, it's unclear yet whether how, Russia have said that obviously they want to sell oil to um, and gas to the EU and to the Americans and to the rest of the world market that they consider to be unfriendly in rubles, right? Mm. Now, now, so far, I don't quite understand how the, the rest of the world says, no, we're not accepting that. Russia has got a choice then, hasn't it? Russia could say, okay, all right, well, don't buy it then. In which case, that would mean, well, total collapse in Europe. That's up to 50% of its energy requirements gone. So, you know, no way can the US meet that with, a, with shipping LNG over for, I mean, it just even if there were there was a constant train of tankers coming over 24-7, it wouldn't even touch it. It wouldn't be anywhere near. So what you're saying is that Russia's got them by the short and curlies. Well, in terms of gas, it does. But of course, obviously, the economic impact of not selling gas and not selling oil to the mm. to the to the global market would be massive on Russia, but not if it manages to replace that trade pretty quickly with India and China, which are bigger markets, and Brazil and and, Bra and Brazil and South Africa. That's, yeah. I mean, if, if that if Russia manages to do that, well, I mean, I don't know whether they will or not, but if they do, I mean, they're all cert certainly doing it with China and certainly starting to ramp up their... Ex I mean, I read a, a, a startling... I've never read anything like this in the Financial Times. This was... It, this, I can't remember the name of the article, but the start of that article read, we are seeing... I'm in this in the, in the Financial Times. We are seeing a global transition of energy flows. Sure. I was just like, <laughs> blimey. You know, I mean, I don't trust the media at the best of times, but nonetheless. But Klaus that, Schwab said that as well. Klaus Schwab said that very yeah. recently too. Yeah. So, I mean, if this looks like a huge realignment that's that's happening very very quickly it's like it people have been talking about it for 20 more than 20 years and now it's come and it's just happening within the space of a few months so is this what would be defined then as the new world order
Well, I mean, it can be. I mean, the, I mean, the people that were um, the original New World or the idea of the New World Order. I mean, firstly, the New World Order is not a new idea because mm. all it is is tyranny. That's all it is. It's the same old thing. of It's the old game of empires. It's people who try their best to rule as many people as possible just because they want to exert their rule. I mean, that's all it is, really. It's not a new yeah. idea. But nonetheless, what we could call identifiably as the New World Order, we would probably go back to Cecil Rhodes and the Round Table Movement and his Seventh Will in 1902 and the Milner's Kindergarten and, and these kind of people who who saw a transatlantic alliance. So that was definitely a, a, a European and American alliance that was seeking to exert its dominance over the globe. And you could say that NATO was very much an extension of that idea. And that has been couched in many different terms. I mean, now it's, it's the, uh, you know, more, more recently we might have called it, and they still do talk about it, the West talk about the international rules-based order. Mm. Well, the, the, the Russians and the Chinese, and in, in their joint statement, uh, uh, Putin and Xi Jinping, were talking about the international law-based order. So they're offering a slightly different model. So if you, if you think that what we might call the New World Order, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think the New World Order is a useful way for describing the idea of global governance and those who wish to establish it. That's really what it's about. It's about creating a, a, a cohesive system of global governance. What China and Russia are talking about is a slight different variation of that. Instead of it being based around a kind of G7-based unipolar world order, which led very much by the US um, and, you know, with, with Europe kind of rapidly catching up, um, that's 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 one model. What Russia and China are offering is more of a kind of uh, G twenty based, BRICS based, international law system. So they're stressing the equality of international, or they're they're stressing that international law, a multipolar system. So it's two sides of the same coin. Well. One thing is for certain, in my view, neither Russia nor China are opposed to the Great Reset. Mm. If, if we consider what the Great Reset is, so the Great Reset is what it, I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, the World Economic Forum's document and their Great Reset um, tools that they've, they've done, it's all about the interconnectedness of all things, but there are some, there are some fundamental precepts that you could say put your hand on and say that's what it's about one is digital identity and the creation of a biosecurity state that that is key to it another is economic transformation which comes under the guise of sustainable development which is a land grab and a resource grab on a global level thanks to the un yeah thanks to the un um I mean, the UN's just a sort of puppet organisation, really. I mean, another interesting thing is that, so, so you've got these things. So you've got the you've got the biosecurity state, digital ID. You've got the kind of vaccine passport kind of way of shooing in digital ID. You've got censorship, rampant censorship 
of free speech um, and freedom of expression. Um, you've got an economic transformation and you've got this idea of no one's left behind. Well, what that actually means is that everyone has to be in line with the same thing. Mm. Both, both Russia and China and the West are pursuing exactly the same thing. And the key to holding the old thing together and to getting this thing to operate is central bank digital currency. If they can get everybody on the central bank digital currency, then it's game over for the rest of us. Because if that's our only source of money, then we become slaves because they decide what we can do, where we can go. I mean, it's programmable money. So, I mean, they could just make it so that you can't use it more than 500 yards from your house. So you're not going anywhere. You can't travel. You can't do anything. I mean, it's that level of tyranny that is possible with central bank digital currency. Who are the world's leaders on central bank digital currency at the moment? China. Who's closely behind them? Russia. So they're leading on this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, the whole lockdown thing, yeah. you know, where did that come from? China. <laughs> so that, you know. It's so strange, though, because on the one hand, on the one hand, you don't, you don't want to... Um, you don't want to challenge that idea because on the other hand, you kind of see the justification in, in Russia's response at the moment in Ukraine, right? You, you see that. But when you, when you say it out loud, when you verbalize it, it sounds like you're denying the big picture. But the big picture is, is essentially that Russia, China, and all these countries still want the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, that's the, the they, 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 I mean, I think the, this is when it gets confusing because we kind of think that it either has to be either or, yes, you know, so, so it, Russia can't both have legitimate security concerns and still want to fall in line with what we might call the Great Reset or a new, yeah. you know, or a new, you know, new global, yeah. global governance system. Well, yes, they can. Well, what we're, what we're talking about is, I think, you know, as we were alluding to earlier, is a shift in power that was planned to happen. Yeah. And you have to say it was planned because everything points in that direction in terms of what the Trilateral Commission were doing, in terms of the massive amounts of foreign direct investment that the West has put into China to enable it to become the power that it is today. All of that has been going on for decades. Now we're in a position where both, I mean, then you get things like Nord Stream, which I know the Americans trying to stop Nord Stream too, but Nord Stream itself is already there. We've got this realignment of power. There's no doubt that the European Union were kind of leaning towards Russia in terms of a closer relationship, which was not in the US's interest. So that's partly why... I mean, the US were at the, got to the stage where they were sanctioning German companies. Mm. So it's not it's not just it's not just Russia that they put sanctions on. The US was sanctioning the Germans over Nord Stream two, so they clearly don't want that that pipeline to go ahead because they don't want this realignment of power at a political level. But and the same was in Russia. They they do want a realignment of power at the political level. But at the overarching global level, 
what do the people that the the oligarchs and the financial backers and the bankers what do they do in every single situation they back both horses yes they, they back both horses so to them it's the, it's the it's the it's the war if we're talking about it in this sense it's the war that matters they don't really care who wins it's it's the product of the war it's the instability it causes which is which is useful to them because then yeah. they come in with the global governance solution. Yeah. Every and, time. And, and an example of that, a, a tangible example is BlackRock. They, yeah. for example, are a major shareholder of both Coke and Pepsi. So on the one yeah. hand, you think, so on the one hand, you think that you, that you're buying a competing product, but at the end of the day, you're not. No. I mean, and BlackRock are also heavily invested in AstraZeneca <laughs> and who are, who are AstraZeneca working with? They're working with the Russians on um, their Sputnik V vaccine. Russia, Russia's, Russia's response to the COVID-19 pseudo-pandemic couldn't have been more by the book. It was absolutely... There is a difference in the, in the approach to the model. Mm. So the, the, the Russian-Chinese side is... Well, because then we're... It depends how you view how politics is played, how geopolitics is played. Mm. If you think that that nation states have primacy and that they are effectively running the geopolitical game and that they are, you know, like, for example, at the UN, that nation states are controlling the UN, um, then... You know, then yeah, you could say that there's there's a there's a power play between the two sides. So they're both vying for control of this undoubtedly one one solution, which is a global technocracy with with um, you know uh, biosecurity and everything at the at the heart of it, global governance. But if you look at things, for example, Kofi Annan gave a speech at Davos in 1998 where he spoke about a quiet revolution at the UN. And the outcome of that speech was he said he, he called it a quiet revolution that had been going on since he started his tenure, which I think was in 94 or 95, um, and that he'd seen a transformation of the UN. And I can't remember, the I'm misquoting this, but he said... The UN is no longer concerned or the UN is no longer solely about the um, interaction of governments. In order for there to be peace, the UN realises it has to bring together various actors, governments, private institutions, uh, NGOs, partners, partnerships. Stakeholders. Uh, stakeholders, exactly. Yeah. So, so the, U, the UN has transformed into a multi... So I would say what, what Russia are talking about at the moment and China are talking about in terms of a multipolar world order, we could call that a multi-stakeholder world order. Yeah, public-private public, public partnerships. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the UN... The, the, the Russia are putting a lot of emphasis on the UN, but then, you know, the UN is a public-private partnership. I mean, the World Economic Forum have got a partnership with the United Nations. I mean, it's 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 couldn't be more kind of in your face, really. 
so although Russia are emphasizing the importance and China are emphasizing the importance of the United Nations, putting all our hopes and faith into that organization is a bit of a bit of a fool's errand because they themselves are a global public private partnership. So you know, whichever way you look at it, that's what we're looking at in terms of the in terms of the overall global model. It, we are going to get, unless we stand up against it and unless we resist it, we are going to get global governance in the form of technocracy, no matter which side claims to have primacy on the geopolitical stage. It, it doesn't matter which side does, because we'll get the same thing. It literally then is a class war. Well, I think it's a class war. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think, I think there are elements. Mm. There are elements of class to what we've seen. I mean, during the during the um, uh, pseudo pandemic, it you know it, it does seem that there is a class division between. I mean, they, we saw that with the Trump election. There is a definite class divide there. There's a class behind the kind of sort of blue collar, rust belt. Trump supporters and the white collar neoliberal Clinton. more middle class Clinton Clinton supporters and that and that and I think in the in the um pseudo pandemic we saw for want of a better expression the woke um liberal uh chattering classes wholeheartedly embracing everything that the state rolled out in their direction which is which annoys me because i'm i'm actually from the left so so you know it's just it it, it but it doesn't matter anymore does it those terms it doesn't really matter but if, if you're saying is this a class war then ultimately mm. it is a class war but it's a class war between us as in humanity yeah. and the what i would call the parasite class which are the which are the people who are who have always been in power, have always sought power, and have always seeking to exert power, and you know they they they've always ruled. I mean, why do we have tyrants? Why do we have kings? We've always had these people that we allow to rule us, and ultimately, this is where it ends up. If you if you look at history, it's all pointing in one direction, one um, one empire after the other conquers the next empire and what happens after every conquest the consolidation of power mm. the consolidation and centralization of power one large empire gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then we have these standoffs continental standoffs rome, rome mm. exactly then mm. we have these continental standoffs which ultimately that that leads in one direction doesn't it central power over everything and technology enables that can we draw a parallel between the Roman Empire and the American Empire? We can in the West, definitely. And I wouldn't say it was just the the, the um, Roman Empire. Uh, I wouldn't say it's just the US Empire. It's the it's the Western liberal order. I mean, we we seem to have got our. We don't seem to have any sense of moral compass. We don't seem to have any kind of. I mean, we just believe the most inane drivel that just mm. gets just gets thrown our way and we just lap it up like kind of brainless seals. I want to interrupt you 
because this is something that I've been thinking about now for a while, and I want to see if I'm if I'm on the right track here. Ian, you and I are not critiquing the West because we hate the West and want to see it implode. We're critiquing no. it. We're critiquing it because we want it to be better. Is that not right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just want humanity to be, to live free. I just, I, I, I just want human beings to have the best possible life that they can have and to live their, to achieve their full potential and be able mm. to, to be able to live and love and die in, in a fulfilled spiritual person. That's, that's mm. what I want. Everybody, not just in the West, everyone. But we can't do that at the moment because we are ruled by people who are absolutely acutely aware of the value of divide and conquer. They know that divide, divide and conquer works. So we'll pit, we'll pit the, the whites against the blacks. We'll pit the, mm. the, the Christians against the Muslims. We'll pit the... You know, we'll pit the East against the West. We'll just keep doing, playing this same old game over and over and over. And we fall for it all the time. And it's it's heartbreaking. Because it doesn't have to be like that. Are we seeing that, that divide and conquer happening right now? I mean, the whole world, in at least in the West, hates Russia just in the last few weeks. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Well, okay, so this is a good, that's a classic example, isn't it? The whole world hates the West because that's what we're told. And that's what we're seeing on our social media feeds. Hates the West. So you mean, you mean, you mean hate Russia? Uh, sorry, hates Russia. Mm. My, my apologies. That's, and that's what we're seeing on our social media feeds. That's what we're seeing in the papers. Mm. That's what it's telling us on the news. Stand with you, Ukraine. Stand with Ukraine and all this kind of stuff. But I wonder if you had a football stadium full of people and you just did a Vox Pops kind of... Do you hate Russia? How many people in here hate Russia? Probably very few. Not many. Mm. Not many people would hate Russia. Generally, generally speaking, I find that most human beings, when you get to know them, it's not easy for them to hate you know, they, they, be, they can become very angry about things and very, you know, kind of... I mean, that's the whole point of social media, isn't it? You can vent your spleen on social media without yeah. having any any possible comeback and and think that you are kind of making some sort of stand for what you believe to be right. But if you're confronted with, for example, a Ukrainian uh, refugee or a, or a Russian um, citizen who's got a different opinion... Suddenly, people reach some, uh, an accommodation. They say, "Oh, I never yeah. really thought of that." People aren't unreasonable. We're we're just we're just programmed to act as if we're unreasonable, but yeah. but, but but people generally aren't. There are exceptions to the rule, Ian. I mean, it it is okay to hate when we're talking about gingers. <laughs> well, yeah, you. I would say that as a ginger, I'm really upset about that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I mean. There's, there's Looking at people. you, I couldn't tell. No, yeah, there, there's other people. There's, um, I mean, I, I it's really fear because you, you you have these people that you've got a funny kind of dislike for, 
there's a guy in the UK. He's a totally innocuous guy. He's a gardener, a TV gardener called Alan Titchmarsh. <laughs> he's a he's a perfectly affable chap, I'm sure. I just can't stand him. <laughs> I, I really dislike him. I've got that, and I don't know why. I don't know why. But <laughs> look, I mean, I have a suspicion that you, what you're saying is dead on. Uh, this 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 weird kind of polarization against Russia must make you sit back and go, hold on, something is wrong. If the entire establishment is telling you right now that you need to put a little Ukrainian flag on your Facebook profile and you need to hate anything that's Russian, including trees, dogs, astronauts, whatever it might be. Music. Uh, music, something is wrong. Well, I mean, it's the same trick as what they were saying. It's the same as COVID-19, isn't it? When they were just yeah. telling you that it was a plague and that you're mm. all going to die. And, yeah. you know, everybody has to lock themselves up in their houses, otherwise their heads will explode or something like that. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. It's just complete rubbish. It's total rubbish. And they just, they just, people just believe it because someone in authority told them. Um, and it's just junk. You were talking earlier about uh, the international rules-based order and the, the sort of variations of it, depending on which side of the world you're coming from. Mm. Um, and uh, you've also mentioned previously about the five eyes. Tell me a little bit yeah. more about that. Well, it's the it's the intelligent. Uh, well, so the international rule based order for a, a, a start um, is it's not really it's really difficult to nail it down because it's it shift, it shifts and it changes all the time. People mm. call it different things at different times, but fundamentally, it is about that um, idea of a unipolar system with with the US leading as a as a, uh, a kind of even a kind of moral leader in terms of its supporting democratic principles and advocating democracy globally that's the idea mm -hmm. um with with kind of the nato led alliance being the kind of muscle part of it and then and then the you know the the world bank and the imf and the you know these kind of situation, these kind of uh, countries being the uh, uh, these kind of organisations being the kind of money, the 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 money muscle, if you like, pushing forward this idea that democracy is a is is solely solely the model that we use, representative democracy, and doesn't exist in any other form, and that has to be promoted globally, and that imposing democracy upon I mean, it's imperialism, basically, is what yeah, it let's, is. Let's bring, let's bring democracy to Syria and to Libya. Yeah, exactly. Yemen. Yeah. Mm. How's that worked out? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's just an excuse for imperialism, really. Well, the, the, the five eyes, so the five eyes are the US, Canada, Australia, uh, <laughs> typical, uh, US, Canada, Australia. Um, who else is in the five eyes? Britain. Britain and well, it escapes me. I can't believe I've just gone completely blank. The um, but that's the intelligence agencies. So they worked. If we look at Ukraine, what the intelligence agencies have done in Ukraine. So we have we have this idea, don't we, of intelligence agencies that they protect our way of life, something that we're told that they, they've defeated all these plots that we never get to hear about because they're yeah, secret. God bless them. Yeah. yeah, God bless them. They do all this thing. 
So if we look at what the, the intelligence agencies have been doing in Ukraine up to this point, following the Second World War, and people, a lot of people don't know, the CIA and MI6 are part of the Five Eyes Alliance. They ran an operation called Operation Gladio in, in Europe, which was a four decades long false flag terrorist campaign. Uh, terrorist organization. They were running far right Nazi groups, groups like Ordi Nuevo and groups like this to blow up um, bus depots and, and railway stations and things like that and blame it on the far left. This was exposed in the, in the courts in the 1990s in Italy. It, the, the, it, the period was called the Years of Lead and this was a, a, an intelligence run NATO, it was led by an organisation called SHAPE in Europe, um, which is part of NATO's command structure. And they were running this false 40 years of false flag terrorism, killing their own populations in Europe. Now, part, part of that, part of that was there was a, well, it's, it wasn't officially part of Operation Gladio, but there was also... Following the Second World War, there was a notorious German spymaster called Reinhard Galen, who was running spy, a spy network in Ukraine, among other places. But he had a spy network in Ukraine. Well, MI6 and the CIA in particular worked with Galen to maintain that spy network in Ukraine following, following the end of the Second World War against the Soviet Union. And... Who did you think they used in order to do their dirty work in Ukraine for all that time? It was the Nazis. Galen was a Galen was an SS officer. So they were using that Nazi network, and inevitably they were using real Nazis. Real Nazis were acting against the Soviet Union in a clandestine way, but that was being run by the CIA. So the, the, the West have always had this relationship with this Nazi network, the Five Eyes, well, not necessarily Australia, but, you know, but, the, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. the West has had this, this Nazi relation, this relationship with these Nazis for a long, long time and has been running them inside um, the Ukraine as well as running them throughout Europe and Turkey and, and you know, so... We, we, what we perceive as the intelligence agencies is only a very, very, very sort of ephemeral kind of image of what they actually are. What they actually are, are you have to say often that they're autonomous. They, they appear to be autonomous. They appear to be doing things that, you know, isn't being approved at a, at a higher level. But if it is being approved, it's not being approved by national government. So destabilization is obviously an incredibly powerful tool it's a necessary thing to do isn't it if you want to build back better if you want to build mm. back better you've got to destroy what's there or at the moment you know that's that's so i mean if you think about the the, the covid19 covid19 introduced us to a lot of concepts such as the biosecurity state the vaccine passports and such as um, digital id digital ID and and also in terms of modifying our behavior in the face of a crisis you know the government snaps its fingers and we all agree to put ourselves under self-arrest and turning us into terrorists for questioning them 
exactly turning us into terror i mean this is a this is another big big thing about what's going on in ukraine in terms of these nazi networks because they've now got thanks to the support that they've had from the intelligence agencies including the cia and mi6 they've now got an international network now there's been all this stuff in the media over the last two years hasn't there about how people that question the government are far-right extremists yeah. So you can see as this as this whole thing unfolds, them constantly reiterating and building upon those suggested links between people that question the state and far right Nazis. Bundling, I mean, the whole QAnon psyop. Yeah. That's what that's all about, isn't it? Just bundling everybody. I mean, we've seen that recently in uh, newspaper. QAnon is genius, though. Well, in, in terms in, in of a psyop, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. In many ways, because because they kind of they kind of merge truth and and propaganda. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the 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 trick, isn't it? I mean, you put in a nugget of truth to lend it some yeah. auth- authenticity, and then you slip in a load of misdirection, so that at some point in the future, a debunker can come along, debunk the thing that's obviously rubbish, and there then use a big brush and say, yeah. therefore, the rest of it is. Even though it uh, probably isn't. Going back to being a terrorist. Now, I mean, if you're a trucker wanting to be free and to choose what you inject into your body, you're now considered a terrorist. Exactly. And, oh. and, also, and also, you know, what else did we see from that? Them seizing bank accounts. Yeah. You know, them, getting, them introducing the idea of, I mean, and also introducing the idea of pre-crime. You know, that you're guilty before you've done report. anything. Exactly. So you're so you're you are you are then guilty of doing something just simply for what you believe, for what you stand up for. So they've already introduced that idea in Canada and via the media, the rest of the world, that they can just see someone's assets because they disagree with the government. Well, what do you think it will be like when we've got CBDC? It's exactly the same thing. Uh, Ian. Jeanette, who's watching, says that the five eyes are Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Britain, and the US. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jeanette. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Jeanette. Thank you. <laughs> Would you like to join us, Jeanette? <laughs> yeah, no, please do. We need help. <laughs> um, so, Ian, are you saying that we shouldn't be fooled then by the lifting of all these restrictions? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yeah. When I mean, we, uh, you know, in one sense, I think that there's the, that we can take some hope from it in terms of, you know, there was a notable victory, I think, in the UK with the the nurses that were mm. uh, they were going to be they were going to be sacked unless they took the jab. I think the government was perhaps surprised by how many were willing to to, to do that. They were willing to stand up and say, "Okay, well, if if if, if you're going to sack us, if, unless we have the jab, then you'll have to sack us because we're not going to have it." So I think there have been little victories like that, and I think that the government have have backed down on some things. So we can take we can take some, but I mean, if we look at what's happened in, for example, Canada. Uh, where, you know, the protests are ongoing and I think, you know, they're still trying to protest. But I mean, even though the government 
in Canada has been exposed as a tyranny. I mean, it, it's difficult to, to, to understand how so many people cannot see that. You know, and that's when we talk about divisions in society. How can people mm. look at the way that the Canadian government responded without seeing it as a tyranny? But if we if we think about the the we've had two two years of a virus, which everybody was terrified about, and everybody yeah. was told that you know this is like the worst thing that's ever happened, that has faded away, and this is what makes me a little bit suspicious with my tin foil hat on. That has faded away, naturally anyway, but I mean that's it's faded, it's gone. People were getting people were getting more there was more resistance, there was the Canadian protests and so forth. And now we've got a war. So we can just forget about forget about the virus, forget about coronavirus. They can wheel that out again another time when it's when it's pandemic two or whatever. But now we're all focused on the other thing, the other thing to be terrified of. Now You've got people like Joe Biden talking about, you know, seriously considering whether, you know, that the US could use a first strike. You know, this kind of this kind of rhetoric, what does that do? It just instills fear into everybody. What does what did the fake pandemic do? Instill fear into everybody. Why? Because people are easy to control when they're frightened. The whole narrative, for example, coronavirus has completely fallen about, completely fallen apart, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, there are scientists all around the world now saying, "Oh, well, lockdowns don't work really," and the and the media is even starting to report that. And yet, the same people were saying the same thing two years ago. It's not like the the, the scientists that are saying that lockdowns don't work have changed their minds. They were saying that two years ago, but nobody would listen yeah. to them. And nobody yeah. would, re and more to the point, the public didn't know because it wasn't reported. So, I mean, you've got ridiculous things, haven't you, like with Fauci. So Fauci, Fauci said, uh, how many times did he flip-flop on masks? He said, it's, initially, initially so he said times. they completely didn't work at all. Then mm. they were a bit useful. Now you must wear them. Then, no, they don't really work. No, no, now you must wear them again. I mean, how can people not see that this has not got any basis? In, yeah. Not just not any basis in science. It's not even rational. Technocratically speaking, how different is the West from the East? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I, I don't I wouldn't choose any government personally because government itself is a tyranny in my view. But mm. I mean, but yeah. I mean, who is further ahead with technocracy? The, the East. The, I would say that I would say that China is leading the world in terms of technocracy. China, China is the world's first technate. It's not a total technate. There are lots of rural places in China, and there are lots of more rural provinces where it's hardly reached at all. But, but the so, question that keeps coming up—sorry, I'm interrupting you—but the question that keeps coming up is yes, but is China not a communist state? No, not anymore. It's technocracy. I mean, it hasn't been a, you know, I mean, it's, it, you, there's a free market, well, the free market, there is capitalism is allowed to flourish in China, but it's controlled capitalism. So in China, they've got a corporate social credit system. So they are controlling the flow of capital in China, which is exactly what they want to do on the global stage. The China has been used as a kind of test bed for technocracy. And that, rollout of that of that 
global, the rollout of technocracy globally, that model, really, we started seeing that a, a real push to introduce that model to the rest of the world with the COVID-19 scandemic. It was the COVID-19 scandemic that enabled that initial push of the ideas of technocracy and also the infrastructure of technocracy. So that has all been slowly being put into place over the last two years while everyone was panicking about a fake pandemic. Not that the virus was fake in my view, but you know, I think that the pandemic it wasn't, it didn't constitute a pandemic. Now we're in a situation where in order to get us to accept the draconian imposition of what technocracy really is, mm. as the as the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace said back in 1908, what better way to do that than war? War war is the catalyst to, to change mm. everything. And, and also, I think a thing to remember as well is we might, in my view, I think you could argue that the, that the World War Three began in 2001 after 9-11. I think that was when personally I see that as the start of World War Three. So because it's not a war of of the US and the, and the NATO alliance against the terrorists or the Russians against the Ukrainians or the Russians and the Chinese against the Americans. It's a war of power and, and uh, sort of global governance structure against Patriot, us. The Patriot, the Patriot Act. Yeah, the, yeah, so you've got the Patriot Act and so forth. Mm. So it's the, it's, the, it's the erosion of everything that we thought that we, you know, are, were given to believe in, in kind of the, in terms of Western democratic values. I mean, nothing has been more anti-democratic than shutting down yeah. freedom of protest. I mean, what's that yeah. got to do with democracy? That That's obviously anti-democratic. Well, I mean, all of it. I mean, from curfews to social distancing to mask mandate, the whole thing. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Ian, are we fighting a losing battle? No, absolutely not. Definitely not. I mean, we, we, the reason that if you think about what is their, what do they spend more and more time doing than anything else? I would say it's propaganda. It's constant. The propaganda, the deluge of propaganda that we are given is unreal. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, I thought that it would be difficult to eclipse the propaganda that we saw during COVID-19. But I mean, mm. if you, the first few weeks of this conflict have certainly <laughs> given that a run for its money. I mean, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, Snake Island and all that sort of stuff. I mean, mm. it's just total nonsense. They're just making yeah. it up. So, so the, the propaganda is immense. So the question is, why? Why do they need to use this propaganda. And yeah, and the, if you think about it, the conclusion is obvious because they re it really matters to them what we think and what we do. They have to control us. In order for their plans and machinations to work, we have to be controlled because if we don't go along with it, they can't roll it out. And that's the truth of the matter. If we take individual responsibility, and it does come down to individuals, if we take individual responsibility for ourselves and those around us 
and decide that we are not going to go along with it. For example, if they try and foist CBDC upon us, we need to say, no, no, we're not doing it. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it's a small group of people here and a small group of people there. And, you know, what? it doesn't really matter how many people do stand up and say no to start with, as long as others start to join in. And they will. So we, we have to take individual responsibility. We can't look to political leaders because the, the entire, some people say that the system is corrupt. I would disagree with that. I would say corruption is the system. That, mm. that, is, that is what we've got. The whole thing is moribund. It, we, we, don't, we can't expect to appeal to the judiciary. We can't expect to appeal to the political system. I mean, um, sadly, we can't even expect to get a decent service from the healthcare system anymore. Even though there are good people working in it, even that has become a, a vehicle for the the enrichment of private corporations. So what? Are, yeah. Yeah. So, so what? Are, what are some other ways then of pushing back? Well, for one thing, you know, I mean, obviously resisting using um, things like CBDC, saying no to someone, you know, draconian orders that you need to self-isolate or you need to wear a mask and all that sort of kind of stuff. But in this context of, you know, uh, a war, questioning what we are told. If someone stands up and says, you know, I demand that you hate Russia, why? To explain to me why question everything don't let them just say right you are going to believe this and if you don't believe this mm. so what so what if i don't believe it you know ask the questions that's the most important thing but in terms of the choices that we make so you know for example how many people are paying for their daily subscription to you know their local mainstream media outlet stop, stop doing stop. it don't, how many people are buying their uh, food from a large supermarket, you know, where they're, they're all right, it's cheap and it's convenient, mm. when there's a farmer's market down the road that they never go to. And rather which, rather give that money to, you know, Ian Davis and Germ Warfare. No, exactly. But, I mean, that, I mean, we joke about that. But, I mean, but, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a choice. I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing at the moment if I didn't have the support of a few patrons that help me out you know my subscribers they mm. they enable me to do what i am doing at the moment but but that's that so that's a choice that people have made people have made a choice to enable me to write what i write if you're doing think about it in this sense if you're doing if you're paying to buy for example the guardian or buy or pay your tv license or or watch cnn or or buying to a cable channel or something like that. That's exactly what you're doing. You're doing exactly the same thing. You are supporting that media network to carry on spinning nothing but lies. So we we need to decide if 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 ten percent of us decided tomorrow that we're not going to buy any more mainstream media rubbish. Mm. That in, the impact globally on of that would be enormous absolutely enormous so though these are the kind and we don't have to stand on the parapets waving flags and protesting against 
Because what's the point of protesting against a corrupt government? You might as well protest against a brick wall. They're not interested in what we think. They don't care what we think. So why should, what's the point of protesting against them? And what are they going to change? They're only going to, they can't change anything anyway. It's probably, you know, they're the, the corporations and the, and the uh, you know, organisations like the World Economic Forum are running the policy framework. So, are, you, are, you, are you suggesting that instead of legitimising the current system, just simply create something that's parallel? Yeah, I think we need to create something that is, we need, I mean, it's, this is the thing, it's, it's not all or nothing. So, of course, we all have to work. We all have to feed our families. We all have to live our lives as best as we can within the system that we've got. But we can all also make conscious decisions about where we spend our money, about what places we frequent, about the decisions that we make about what we support and what we don't support. I mean, there was that meme going around, wasn't there, on social media not long ago with the, the uh, NPC, with the, the thing around yeah. it saying, support yeah. the, I, I support the latest thing. Even Elon Musk tweeted it. Yeah, even Elon Musk tweeted it. So it must be, yeah. So, but that's the point. That's quite, in a, in a sense, that was quite a powerful, powerful meme, actually. Mm. Because people really need to start thinking more about what they are told and whether or not it's plausible and trying to question whether it because i mean if if the government is telling you is it rational do people really think it is rational to believe that this guy vladimir putin for one for one thing that he alone rules russia with an iron fist of course he doesn't he can't, he can't rule Russia unless he's got loads of people supporting him around him. He needs, mm. he needs money. He needs propaganda. He needs a whole entire network to enable him to be the figurehead for their power structure. So, of course, it's, it's to totally ridiculous to blame one man or to imagine that one man can rule a country of 140 or 145 million people. Yeah, but that's the art of war, Ian. You create an enemy and you... you, you exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that, 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 that's, these, are, these are the very... These are the ways in which we are manipulated. We're given these, you know, childlike stories of mm. good and evil to believe in. And, and unfortunately... It seems that many of us accept those stories. But I think, personally, I think a big part of that reason that why people do is because we're, we're not, we're not necessarily, there's a few of us, Jeremy, that, that are interested in this kind of stuff to this extent. You know, that, that there are, most people aren't. Most people are, are more interested in, in getting on with their lives, in, in furthering their careers, in raising their families, in the, you know they're not obsessed with this stuff. Maybe so and much. Wondering, as... And wondering why Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah, wondering why Will Smith exactly, exactly, and being even maybe staying awake at night thinking about it. Listen, you know, I I wish it was Putin slapping Biden. <laughs> oh, that would have been that would have been. <laughs> see, that would have been good television. That would have been good. 
I would have paid the TV license for that. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, last time we spoke, I asked you this question, and I'm going to ask it to you again. But in front of you, there's a crystal ball. Tell me what you see. I think we are going to see a global power shift. And I think Russia and China are going to emerge from this as the the new centre of power. And in order, it's the same old story, in order to back up that power, you need to have some military might there as well. And obviously, collectively, between the two of them, they, they certainly have that. So I think that that new power system will emerge. But what will also emerge, uh, because they are fully on board with it, is a global technocracy. And that's going to, even if Russia and China don't end up winning this spat, there's, there's you know, that's coming anyway. And I think people will be confronted with the reality, a harsh economic reality that's happening already. And unfortunately, and sadly, although it's a sad indictment of our society, but nonetheless, when people face genuine hardship, then they start to ask questions. And, I'm, and it's almost, I don't wish it upon us, and I don't wish it upon anybody. I don't wish anybody to have to suffer. But unfortunately, a bit of hardship might bring us to realise mm. that, that we are not being cared for that 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 you know it's it's down to us to look after each other it always has been down to us to look after each other but so yeah i'm i'm hopeful i think that people can that, realize that, that what's hard, going on and that hardship also brings people together exactly yeah i mean there, there is you know comradeship in hardship isn't there i mean that's 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 true, but it's unfortunate that we have to get, we have to, and we are going to be taken to that point because, I mean, inflation, we're looking at, we're looking at rampant inflation, we're looking at food shortages, we're looking at everything. And, 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 and of course, it's going to be, you know, people in the Middle East and people in, you know, the Sahel region and people in Africa and, and uh, South America that are going to suffer first. But that, it won't. It won't. It won't be. It won't be just. It's going to be everywhere. I mean, we've we've broken all the supply chains. That's all deliberate. And this this is compounding it. The 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 conflict is compounding all of those problems and making them worse. And then the sanctions are making them even worse. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you were deliberately, I mean, this is what makes me tinfoil hat and everything like that. If you were deliberately trying to destroy the global order and create a new one build That's back better you could this is this is it this is the recipe that would enable you to do that where can people follow your work um yeah you can follow me at my website which is uh, in this together it's got hyphens between the words so it's in dash this dash together.com you got to um, change that yeah i don't know i i've got it aged i could just oh, just how I, if I did change it, I, I, I tried to get in this together.com. That's about eight grand. I thought, well, I won't be getting that then. <laughs> um, 
yeah so there's there's that and then there's um i write for quite often i write for uk column i write uh, very fortunate to be writing for unlimited hangout uh with whitney webb um as well um and then i'm published on um places like the off guardian and lou rockwell and places like that so so yeah just check out check out my work there um and um you know i mean just re another thing I would say to everybody, just check out all independent media. Just try and check out, you know, the people who work like yourself, yourself, Jeremy, and follow it. I mean, obviously your audience is already doing that. But, I mean, we need to start spreading this information around. We need to start people like Whitney Webb and people like James Corbett and uh, Last American Vagabond and all these people mm -hmm. that are putting out, regularly putting out important information and good content. We need to start pushing that into the mainstream. We need to be telling everybody about it. Ian, I think it's time for a top-up on these drinks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ian Davis, thank you for joining me in the trenches. No, it's been great, mate. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.